Well, welcome to Crosspoint Church Online. And let me just say, you are in for a treat today. We have Dr. Merritt here and we have him in the hot seat. And we've got some provocative questions from you about coronavirus and our faith. So this is gonna be a really inspiring moment for us this morning. Uh, Dot, let's just jump in. Sure. Question one, is it appropriate to tithe the Crosspoint Church in toilet paper and hand sanitizer? I would say mo probably more here than Mill Creek because we have an older audience. Hey, just send it to my house, Charmin, make sure it's Charmin. Okay, but okay. Uh, for real, first question is a great question. This is from Rachel and Rhonda. And uh, their question, is the virus a direct result of anyone's sin, a result of the fall of man? Well, I want to thank Rachel and Rhonda, first of all. It's a great question. And the first thing I would say right off the bat is it's kind of a no and a yes answer. I would never say it's a direct result of anyone's individual sin. I, I think that that would be certainly a mistake. As a matter of fact, Jesus kind of dealt with a question like that uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there was evidently a, a catastrophe where a tower fell on some people and killed them. And there was another incident where some other people were killed. So they came to Jesus and they said, okay, was it because of something these people did? Or were these people worse than other people because they got killed by the tower, but these people didn't? Jesus gave a, gave a great response. He said in Luke 13, uh, verses 3 and 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So on the one hand, though, I would never say, yeah, this is a direct result of your sin or my sin or the nation's sin, though it could be, I don't speak for God. What I would say, though, every disaster, all disease, all death is a direct result of the fall of man. Sin is the ultimate cause of every evil and every bad thing that happens to us. And it's why we live in such a fallen world. So on the one hand, no, I would say no to the first part of the question, but I, I would obviously say yes to the second part. I'll tell you, it's, it's very dangerous to say to someone normally, well, if you hadn't been living like this, this wouldn't have happened or that wouldn't have happened. It's all your fault. I, I love the story I heard years ago about a pastor. It's back when people rode trains and pastor lived in Oklahoma. His mom lived in Florida. So he took a train to see his mom for a few days. Well, when he came back, there was one of his church members that, that met him at the train station. And so he said, what are you doing here? He said, is something wrong? He said, well, I just wanted you to know. He said, man, we had a tornado come through town and it blew my house down. Well, the pastor thought this is a great example, a great time for me to kind of teach this guy. And he hadn't been faithful in church. And so he said, well, you know, um, I'm just gonna be honest with you. You know, you, you haven't been coming to church lately. I know you've, not be, you've been doing some things that you shouldn't be doing, so I'm not really surprised that the tornado blew your house down. And he said, well, Pastor, I just have to tell you, it blew your house down too. <laughs> so, you know, you've you got to be careful of those kind of yeah, things. Yeah, but, but yes, in effect, this is a result of the fall. It is a result of sin. Gotcha. So uh, let me just be clear. So what you're saying, let's, for illustration purposes, let's say that you have corona and I don't have corona. Uh, number one, I'd probably back up a little bit. But you would say that you're no more sinful than I am because you have the virus and I don't. Yeah, and I would not say, I would never point someone and say, well, you know, you got the coronavirus because you used to smoke. Or you got the coronavirus because you, 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 you kind of let yourself go and yeah. you're not as physically healthy as I am. And so this is kind of God's way of, you know, of, of letting you suffer the consequences of your sin. I would never say that. Now, 
are there consequences to sin? Absolutely. And right. does God allow us to suffer those consequences? Yes. But we're not God. And I can't put myself in the place of God and say, yep, this, in other words, I can't say cause and effect. That's not my place. Gotcha. And I think that's a great lead into the next question. And uh, th this is a, kind of a follow-up. Is Corona God's way of judging and punishing the world? After all, didn't God use plagues and sickness in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, the answer to the second part of the question is yes, God did use plagues, obviously, and sickness in the Old Testament. However, when you go back, God primarily used that on the nation of Israel when they rebelled against him. And I just remind us that we're, we're not Israel. The United States is not Israel. Even Israel is not technically Israel in some sense. Right. Ethnically it is, but certainly spiritually it's not where the nation of Israel you know, was at one time. So, you know, the answer is, yeah, God did use plagues and sickness. And as a matter of fact, when you read the book of the Revelation, God is going to use plagues and, and, plagues and sickness in the future as he does bring judgment to this world. But this is what I would say, Chad. I think sometimes we, we get too caught up in the, the origin of something rather than the result. I don't know exactly how this virus fits into God's plan. I know it does. But I'm a lot more concerned with the result. And this is what I do know. I do know that God wants to use a calamity and, and, and uh, uh, a disease and, uh, and terrible things like this to get our focus back on him, yeah. to realize we need this God. We need the God that created us. We need the God that loves us. And that's my, been, been my biggest prayer is that we will not waste this calamity that's come upon us. If we're Christians, it will draw us closer to God. And hopefully for many people out there, this will be the trigger that a lot of your relatives and friends have been waiting on to bring you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yeah, I think that's so important. Maybe the better question for us is, are we looking to God when bad things happen? And, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, the book of Revelation because I know there's been a lot of articles already written about uh, end times as it relates to coronavirus. Is the coronavirus connected, is the coronavirus connected with God bringing forth the end times? I'm so glad for that question. And, and this is an object lesson I wanna give to all of our people. I, I have a saying, I always hesitate to speculate. I, I just don't get into the speculation business. I, I'm not the Lord. I don't know when he's going to come. How, you know, I know he's going to come physically and visibly, but I tell a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm not on the program committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. Yeah, yeah. So he, he can come whenever he wants to come. That said, uh, obviously, again, it is very plain in Scripture that as we get closer to the end of times, you're going to see earthquakes, you're going to see famines, you're going to see disease and pestilence like, you yeah. know, like this. So, you know, on the one hand, no, I, I can't say for sure that this is, you know, a, a definitely connected with God bringing forth the end times. I would remind us, though, of one thing. What we're seeing is a reminder that even the world, this physical world, Chad, was affected by the fall of the human race. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that messed us up. They messed everything up. It was because of the fall that you have thorns on rose bushes. It was because of the um, fall that you have yellow jackets and gators. I just had to get that in there. <laughs> so it was because of the fall that we have those things. And in fact, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 23. It's a great passage. He said this. This world is groaning. That this world is, is under tremendous pain and it has a desire to go back to the way that it was. But one thing we know about the Garden of Eden, it was pristine perfect. Whatever else was true, it was pristine perfect. And one day, I believe we're going to live on this same world again, the new heaven, the new earth, and it will be the way that God intended for it to be. Yeah, I think it would be presumptuous 
to say either way. You know, I, obviously Jesus in Luke 21 said there would be pestilence, sure. which is uh, devastating pandemics. Uh, I know one of the questions that I've been getting as a pastor that I've seen online all over is this question. Many of us are staying inside fearful and uh, fearful of contracting the virus. Does that mean we have a weak faith or are we negating our trust in God? Aaron asked that question. Yeah, Aaron, a great question. And, and, and so let me help all of us here because I'm in the same boat you're in. In fact, I'm, I'm in a, deeper in the boat some of you are because of where I am in my age and stage of life. There's a difference between fear and caution, what I would call sanctified common sense. So, you know, yes, we ought to wash our hands. We ought to keep our distance. We ought to observe good rules of, you know, of health and hygiene, not because we're afraid. It's just, first of all, we're told to do it from medicinal experts. It's common sense to do it. Number two, we have a responsibility to do everything we can, not just to keep from getting it, but to keep from giving it. So as I say again, we're not to tempt God, but we are, you know, are to test God, but we are to trust God. But having sure. said that, this is a big question we need to ask ourselves. What are we really afraid of? And again, I'm not trying to be fatalistic on the one hand. On the other hand, what is the worst thing that could happen to me, Chad? Let's say I get the virus and I don't make it. You say, well, the worst thing that could happen, Doc, is you die. Well, Chad, I'm not afraid to die. Death has been conquered. That goes all the way back to last Easter weekend. I know where I'm going. I'm, I, have, I, I can honestly say I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, in a bravado sense saying I'm, I'm the cool dude here, but I'm not afraid of death because I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, if we're not afraid of dying, why should we be afraid of a virus? So on the one hand, yes, God gave us this body and God has commanded us to take care of it. So we should do everything we can. By the way, if there's no virus, we should, still should do everything we can to take care of our body. But even in this instance, yes, you take care of your body. You practice good hygiene. You do all the, take all the precautions that you could, not out of fear, not out of fear, but out of a legitimate common sense concern that we want to stay healthy so we also don't get other people sick. Yeah, I think we all deal with that tension right? I mean, sure. uh, you know, I think biblically, we're supposed to love our neighbor. And that means that we should socially distance ourselves to keep them from getting sick, from getting sick ourselves. But also, we're supposed to take care of the sick. And so there's a tension there that we all have to manage. We have to face that reality. I have reality. to tell you this, Chad. I had a great time. I, I went into a, a pharmacy the other day. My, my brother's, my deaf brother has COPD, and he's not in good health, and I really have to look after him. So I'm kind of doing all these things for him. And I've never been able to do this. I always want to do it. So I, I went to his drugstore to pick up some medicine. There were two ladies sitting out there in a mask. And I walked in. And as soon as I walked in, I said, this is a stick-up. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Well, they were laughing. They said, we needed some humor. And we do a little bit of humor in this time. But yeah. my point is, I was wearing a mask. When sure. I, if I go to the I wear a mask. I, I'm, I'm careful. I come out of the grocery store, I'm washing my hands. I'm not afraid. I'm not quaking in my boots, but I do it out of sanctified common sense. One of the ways we've been socially distancing is online church. And uh, this is probably one of the most provocative questions among pastors. And Margaret asked this question. She says, why is meeting in person at the church, she's talking about a building, why is meeting in person at the church important? I love online church. Can't we continue this after the virus is over? 
Well, Margaret, six weeks ago, I would have hugged your neck, but I can't do that right now. I may not be able to do it again for a long time. And I'm, I, just to kind of prime the pump, I'm actually, uh, Chad, going to be preaching an entire message on this. When I find out we're ready to come back to church, I'm going to be preaching an entire message on that. But more to the question she asked, which is a great question, why is meeting in the church important? It's a great question, and I'm just going to kind of give you a quick summary. Well, if I, there's only, I can give you one reason, then that really ought to, you know, answer the question. The Scripture commands it. We, well, this is not something, we, this is not an idea that we came up with. It's not an idea that Baptists or Episcopalians or Catholics or Presbyterians came up with. This is a command. Go back to the Bible. The, the, the early believers in the Old Testament felt like it was important that they go to the synagogue and the temple. God felt it was important because he told them to build one. The New Testament church felt it was important that on the first day of the week, they gathered together to worship. Well, if the Old Testament saint thought it was a big deal, and the New Testament saint thought it was a big deal, why don't we think it's a big deal? For, for example, and Paul, express, uh, not Paul, the author of Hebrews, expressly says this in Hebrews. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now listen to this, not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing. Guess what? 2,000 years ago, yeah, people were still sleeping in. They were still watching ESPN. They were still watching, you know, um, uh, you know Good Morning America, whatever it is they do. And, you know, they, they were still doing those kind of things. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let, and, let, let me yeah. interject just for a moment sure. because I think this is an important question related to, you know, watching church online. Are you saying that meeting together is not the same as watching online? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't even have to say it. It's pretty obvious. I mean, I, 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 in fact, I, let me just say this. I'm glad you phrased the question that way. I don't understand. I'm just being honest with you folks. And I'm not trying to fuss. I'm just being honest. I don't understand why people are perfectly satisfied with doing church online, but they want to apply that to any other area of their life. So I'll give you an example. How many of you do Christmas with your family online? How many of you, when you got married to your spouse, said goodbye after the wedding and said, hey, we're going to do our marriage online? How many of you grandchildren, all you ever want to do is interact with your grandchildren online? I don't understand why we don't apply that to any other area of our life. No, I want to be with my grandkids. I want to be with my spouse. I want to be with my parents. I want to be with my friends. But when it comes to Sunday, no, I think I'll just hang out here. And oh, by the way, let me just, while we're in this neighborhood, let me just go ahead and say this. I'm going to say this again down the road. You're not going to do heaven online. If you don't want to be with God's people one day a week, one hour a week maybe in this building, you don't want to do that why do you want to go to heaven and spend eternity? Because let me tell you, Chad, in heaven, you're not getting away from me. You don't get to go into a room and hide or stay in bed and eat your chips and drink your Coke and watch, watch Jesus online. <laughs> That's not the way heaven is going to work, okay? Yeah. And I can promise every believer, if you really think you can get away with it, if you really think, you know, hey, I don't really care what God says, I don't really care what Jesus thinks, I, I really believe this. When you get to heaven, I think God's going to ask you, wait, wait a minute. You didn't want to be with all these people one hour a week. Why are you showing up here? So I cannot emphasize enough. And by the way, she asked the question, can't we just watch online? Yeah, you can. That's not the question. Should you? And I'm going to say this as strongly as I can. It is a mark of your love for Jesus 
and your love for his house and your love for his people and your spiritual maturity, it is a mark of all of those things, whether you want to sit home and watch it online versus be here and fellowship with God's saints. Oh, let me tell you one other thing. The author of Hebrews said, we ought to do that, why? To encourage one another. So let me just say this very bluntly and plainly. This is very selfish. When you don't show up, it discourages me. There's not, I've never been encouraged, and you'll learn this when you go pastor your own church one day, Chad. You never get encouraged by an empty chair. I've never seen an empty <laughs> chair yet. Matter of fact, you say, well, would you rather me come and, and sit and sleep through your message? I really had because you know what? I'll yell out enough. I'll wake you up. But I can't wake you up if you're at home, okay? <laughs> so, yes, there are very great reasons why hopefully when this is over, matter of fact, this is what I'm praying for. I hope there's a thirst and a fire and a hunger where people say, man, I cannot wait to get back to God's house. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's my prayer. I think we know where you stand on that issue. Yeah. Uh, but what about the person who says, if, if you're for people showing up at church, then why does your church offer online streaming services? Excellent question. Yeah. Two reasons. Number one, uh, somebody's going to reach them if we don't. Somebody, I get that. They're going to be people, no matter what I say, they're, the first, their first experience with church today, normally 25 years ago, you, if you want to experience church, you went and visited the church. Now people say, you know what? I think I'll pop it online. So we realize, hey, there are people out there. We're going we're gonna to cast as many hooks in the sea as we can. However, the other reason is, is our prayer is, is that even what you see on the screen will so move you and so motivate you that you want to be there. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not making, being funny when I say this, give you a real life illustration. I grew up a Georgia Bulldog fan, grew up watching them all my life. I had never been to a Georgia football game till I moved back here to pastor a church in this county. I had never been to a Georgia football game. One of the reasons why I was so excited about moving back to Atlanta, because I said, I'm going to go to a game. You know what moved me to go to a game? Because I watched Herschel Walker on TV. Because I listened to Larry Munson, you know, on the radio. And I said, man, if it's that good here, how good is it there? That's why every Saturday, six, seven Saturdays a year, I love watching it on TV. But there's nothing like being there. Yeah, that's good. Definitely there's something experiential about being with the body uh, no corporately. Well, Thomas asked a question that we've all seen on the news lately, the, the issue between church and state. He says, does the government have the power to shut down businesses and close churches? Do we have to submit to those authorities or this when we should be standing up and trusting God and meeting in churches? That's a hot question. It's, it's, it's super hot. And we've never been in this situation before. And so I want to be very sensitive both to our governmental leaders and our civic authorities. And I also want to be sensitive to this whole concept of what our nation is built on, which is religious liberty and religious freedom. So Thomas, it's a great question. It may be a little deeper than Thomas thought because Chad, it's actually both a constitutional and a biblical question at the same time. So, you know, obviously, constitutionally, our government has not only a right they have a responsibility to look out for the welfare of the citizenry of this nation. So obviously case, a case can be made and is being made that yes, if it is in the best interest of the country, if it is in the national welfare of our, of our citizenry, they, they do have the right and the responsibility to shut down businesses, to regulate where and how we meet, you know, from a secular viewpoint, as long as it's serving the health and, and, and the welfare of our country and is in our national interest. However, they do not have the right, in my opinion, to unilaterally just close down churches or disallow any form of worship and Bible study whatsoever. For example, just this week, there's a couple of states, they were giving people tickets because they were having drive-in church. I have no doubt that's going to be, they're, they're, that's a lawsuit begging to happen. It is absolutely unconstitutional. I don't think they did have the right to do that. 
But having said that, let, let me speak not to the government and to the civic authorities. Let, let me talk to the church. I believe that three things we should remember as believers. Number one, we ought to be the best citizens of America. We ought not to be good citizens. We ought to be the best citizens. So unless we're asked to do something that is either unbiblical or it is ungodly or it is unethical or it is immoral, we ought to do it. So we ought to be, first of all, the best citizens. Okay, so we should abide by the law. Number two, we ought to be good neighbors. Not just good neighbors, the best neighbors. We ought to keep the golden rule. We ought to do for others what we want them to do for us if, if, you know, if we're in the same situation. So did I want to wear a mask to the grocery store the other day? No, but I didn't really want to. It's a hassle to me. I don't like it. I feel strange. I feel weird. And I'm keeping my social dip. And I said, you know what? I'd want other people not knowing if they have it or not, knowing, knowing where they've been or where, you know, who they've talked to. I would want them to do the same thing for me. So we ought to be good neighbors. So we practice social distancing. We, you know, we don't congregate in groups more than 10. We keep that six feet distance and so forth. And then most of all, we ought to be good Christians. Paul said in Romans chapter 13, and it may hurt to hear this, he said behind every government authority ultimately is the authority of God. And he goes on to say this, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, you don't do it just because you're afraid they might arrest you, but as a matter of conscience. Well, what did he mean by that? What he meant was one day we will give an account to God as to what kind of a citizen were you, what kind of a neighbor were you, what kind of a Christian were you. So, yes, we should obey the government as long as, again, it doesn't violate Scripture or conscience, as long as we understand we're not doing it because we're afraid of the government or because we're, we're afraid they might punishment, punish us. It's the opposite. We do it because, God, this government ultimately is yours. You're the one that puts down one and sets up another. If this is what the government says we're going to do, that's what we're going to do. Well, certainly churches aren't immune or exempt from the coronavirus. We've seen uh, breakouts in choirs and funerals and weddings and other religious services. Does that mean that God has abandoned us in this season? Does he even care what's going on in the world? And if so, prove it. I love the way that question was phrased. I don't know who turned it in, but I love that last part. If so, prove it. <laughs> this gives me a chance. It's an interesting question. And I'll tell you why. And this gives me a chance to say something I don't know if I've ever said in a, in a, in a message before. Chad, it's very interesting to me that, and, and we all tend to do it, we only bring up these questions about God when things are going bad. You know, we, 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 you know, we don't think about it much when things are going good. And a great example of that is Job. If you, if, you, if you don't remember or don't know who Job was, Job was a, a, a character in the Old Testament. There's a book in the Bible about it. It's not Job, by the way, it's Job. But there, there's a book in the Bible. And what it's simply, simply about is about, it's about a man that loved God. He was righteous. He was dotting the I's, crossing the T's, going to church, paying his tithes, all that. And the devil comes to God and says, hey, yeah, he serves you. He loves you because things are going good. Let me jerk the rug out from under me. Let's see how that works out for him. God says, okay, you can't kill him. But you can do that. And I mean, Job had to undergo some horrific things. So bad, things got so bad. His own wife said this to him. Now listen to this. His own wife said to him, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? Wow. Now think about that. You know, she hadn't said curse God ever, ever, ever before, but now things are going bad. So what do people normally do? Things go bad. Stick their face, fist in his face and they curse God. God. They get mad at God. They get upset at God. But then Job made a great response. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And here's what gets me. 
Boy, when things start going south, we curse God. We get mad at God. What are you doing? Wake up. Do your job. But you know, when things are going good, you know what we do? We put God on the shelf. We don't thank God. We don't bless God. We don't serve God. We don't worship God. We don't th we don't, we're not grateful to God realizing that everything that's good comes from above. It's only when things are bad. So the question, does he even care? I'll just go back, exhibit A last weekend, last Friday, a week ago. Good Friday. God proved once and for all he cares. He proved once and for all that he loves us because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for this whole world, not because we deserved it, but in spite of the fact that we didn't. God could have kept Jesus home, could have judged every one of us, and nobody would have had any complaint or anything to say because we deserved the worst God had to offer. But you know what God said? I love you so much, I'm going to give you another choice. You can have my grace and my mercy and my love. And that's why I'm sending Jesus. That's why the, Peter himself, who, by the way, was crucified upside down later in his life, Peter could say, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Prove it. Don't have to prove it. The cross is the final answer to that question. So what about the person, though? They, they know the scripture. They know the platitudes. Uh, they understand it. But talk to the person behind the lens who just lost their job. What, what about the person who says, I lost my job, my savings are gone, there's no end in sight. Why should I continue to worship God? And why should I try? You know, I, 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 I read that question and I said, boy, Lord, I want to be careful. And so I don't know who turned that question in, but I don't know a lot of you are asking it and more of you are going to be asking it as, this, as these days going on until we kind of recover. So let me just say this, and this is not it's going to shock you, but hang with me. I'm not going to ask you to keep trying. I'm going to ask you to keep trusting. You know, only one time in the Bible does God ever say, try anything. You know what he says? Try me. Just put me on, put me on the spot. You know, and he's talking about tithing. We're not going to talk about that now. But it's the only time. You know what God tells us? He didn't tell us to try. He tells us to trust. You know how you get saved? You don't get saved by trying, Chad. You get saved by trusting. Do you know how you walk with the Lord? You don't try to walk with the Lord. You walk with the Lord by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So my answer to you would be, okay, quit trying and start trusting. Now, I'm going to be addressing this in the next couple of messages, by the way. This is a paid advertisement. You need to be tuning in over the next couple of weeks. But let me just remind all of us of this. Here's what we're all going through right now, all of us. This is a test of our trust. God is testing our faith right now. God is not interested. If you're just going to trust God when the x-ray is negative, if you're just going to trust God when the portfolio is growing, if you're just going to trust God when you get a raise, if you're going to just, just trust God when you get the promotion, God says, that's cheap. But God doesn't lie. He's made a promise. He said, my, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. So here would be the question I would ask all of you folks out there, and I'm not minimizing your suffering. Here's the question. Would you rather keep everything and not have God? Or would you rather lose everything but have God? Well, Francis wants to know, for my friends and family who are non-believers, how do I share hope when they feel so hopeless? How can I share that God is present and working with my friends who are not believers when so many people have lost their jobs and their hope? You know, uh, thank you for the, so much for the question, uh, Francis, but let me tell you this. I think it actually gives us an unbelievable opportunity to share with them. 
There's a difference between being helpless and hopeless. And if I were talking to an unbeliever, I would say, you know, we're, we're, we're both helpless in this situation. We can't turn on the economy. I can't get your job back. You can't get my job back. We're kind of helpless. But let me just tell you this. There's only one way we're hopeless. If there is no God, we're hopeless. If, we, if, if this is all up to fate and chance, we're sunk because there's nothing we can do and no one that can bail us out. However, I want you to consider during this difficult time there is a God. As a matter of fact, has it occurred to you that maybe God's allowed this to happen to you to focus your attention on Him? Because I want to share with you that our only hope is that there is a God who's in control of this world. There is a God who loves us, that God's even in control of this virus. There's a God that wants to meet our needs and will supply our needs and will always do what is best for us. That's why we said last week at Easter, the risen Lord is our only hope. So Francis, there's not a better time you'll ever get to share the greatest message of hope people ever hear, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I believe the scripture that you preached last week, 1 Peter 1, 3 is worth repeating. Uh, Praise be to God, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Amen. Christ Absolutely. from the dead. Yeah. That is our only hope. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of us, we followed you online on social media. We've seen how you've taken advantage of this coronavirus as an opportunity in your neighborhood. So uh, Sydney wants to know this. What are some practical ways to minister during coronavirus season? How can we serve the homeless and needy without breaking rules? Well, unless you live in the Mojave Desert by yourself, there's a lot of ways to do it. Most of us live in neighborhoods. So far, I've not seen any law that says we can't go to a neighbor. We can't, uh, pr first of all, we can pray. We can pray for our neighbors. Number two, we can communicate. You're exactly right. I'm determined. I'm not going to waste this time in my life. Time's short. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm moving on down the runway. I don't have as much runway down as I used to have. Time's more precious to me than it's ever been. I'm not going to waste this virus. I'm not going to waste this crisis. So, Number one, I pray. Number two, Chad, I'm writing notes almost every day. I'm writing thank you notes. I'm writing notes of encouragement. I'm texting people. I'm emailing people. I'm praying for my one. Easter, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago before Easter, two weeks, two or three weeks ago, I had one of my ones. I sent him a text. I called him. Followed up with an email. Easter Sunday morning reminded him of the service. Asked him because he was here physically last year. Invited him to be a part of it. You know, I've already said uh, we we yesterday my my granddaughter came over. My little eight year old granddaughter. We we we're, we're taking loaves. To, we're taking a loaf of banana bread. We're taking a little letter from me and Teresa with our personal information on how to contact us, let people know we're serving, we want to serve them and pray for them, and a best news card. We're doing it to everyone in our neighborhood. So for, for our granddaughter came over yesterday, Teresa fixed four banana nut bread loaves. We went to four different neighbors, some I'd not met. We went up to their homes, knocked on their door. We stepped back. Four neighbors came. Every one of them before I could say, oh, hey, Dr. Merritt, I didn't know they knew me. Hey, Dr. Merritt, how are you? I said, hey, you know me and Teresa, we live right down the street from you. This is a, a, a loaf of banana nut bread. Just want to, and, 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 a, and, and, and our personal information to let you know you can contact us to let us know how we can serve you and pray for you and the best news you'll ever hear in your life. And so, Chad, what I've been able, to, been able to see is you can make lemonade out of lemons if you will do it and be intentional. And there's so many ways that you can do that. Yeah, we talk about ways all the time on our Zoom calls and our staff meetings. And in fact, we put together a document that everybody can look at online. You can go to livehopegivehope.org. That's livehopegivehope.org. And there are lots of ways that you can serve 
your family, your friends, and your neighbors. Now, last question, I think probably the most important question, what would you say to the person who says this? Doc, I'm with you. I believe you're right. God's trying to get my attention. He's working all this for my good. What is the one lesson? What is the one message that God wants the world to hear through coronavirus? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, if, if, Chad, if I, if I could speak to the whole world, if I, if I had my shot, and I could only say one thing, th- this is exactly would be the thing that I would say. I would say that the four greatest words that will ever come out of a human being's mouth are these four words. Jesus Christ is Lord. If I can only say one thing, I would say this to the world. One of two things have to be true. Out of 30 billion people who have lived on this earth, 30 billion, 30 billion, let that sink in. Only one claimed to be God incarnate. Only one claimed to have lived a perfect life. Only one claimed to have died not for himself, but for us, died for our sins. And only one claimed to come back from the grave. Now, Chad, if everything I just said is a fairy tale, it's just once upon a time and it didn't really happen, I got nothing to say. My clip's empty. But if what I just said is true, that's the ball game. That's the game changer. And if I could only say one thing to the world, it would be this. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There are only two people walking the face of the earth, Chad. Only two. Only two kinds. Saved people and lost people. People who are in Jesus, people who are outside of Jesus. And I would just want to encourage you right now. You right now, just, just listening to me, you could just right now, even as you're sitting in that living room, you could say something like this. I get it. I realize my greatest need is not to get rid of the virus. My greatest need is to get rid of sin. Because you know what, Chad? There's a virus that's flowing through the veins of the human race and have been since the beginning of time. It's called sin. And that virus is going to kill everybody. It will kill you physically. But if you don't get saved from your sin, it will kill you spiritually. And the only remedy for that sin is the faith in Jesus that we can give and the grace that he gives us. So if you right now would just say what I said as a nine-year-old boy, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need a Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. This moment, I confess you as my Lord. This moment, I trust you as my Savior. I give you my life. If you did that or if you're doing that right now, let me tell you what's happening, whether you feel it or not. God just saved you. How do I know? Because God doesn't break his word. God gave his word. If you confess with your mouth, he's Lord, believe in your heart that he raised, you from the, raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to ask you to do this. If you made a decision for Jesus today, or you'd like to know more about how to become a believer, or you've got a biblical question, or you've got a prayer request, if you would just text, yes, Jesus, that's one word. Yes, Jesus. Text it right now to 31996. I did it, did it the other day. If you'll just text Yes, Jesus to 31996, you'll receive instructions on how, to, how, we, how you know, we'll follow up with you, whatever need that you have, and we want to send you a free gift. So I want to thank you for this time. And Chad did a great job. Thanks for letting us, thanks for letting us come into your home. Hope it was a blessing to you. I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I... Really enjoyed our time together. Dr. Merritt, thank you so much for being here, being willing to answer these questions. Uh, Church, we want you to know that we love you. 
And uh, we know that God is gonna work all this together for our good and his glory. And uh, we have an incredible message next week. We wanna see you back here, same time, same place. You guys have a great week.